Let's do something real quick. Everyone stand up. If you would, raise your hands. Um, and this is an act people have been doing for a long, long time. We've been raising our hands for so long as people that sometimes actually um, it affects your body chemically. And there's a lot of reasons people raise your hands. One reason you raise your hands is uh, victory, right? It says, I win, right? The other reason you raise your hands is in defeat. It says, I surrender. Both very important <laughs> acts as a person, right? And so when you raise your hands in worship or you raise your hands to pray, it's a spiritual act, but there's also a physical act involved. And this is very much like the kingdom. It's not just one of the other. We, we, we like to lump things in two categories. This is like the world and this is like heaven or this is God. But God doesn't. He different, differentiates between the two, but also the two overlap and they are not disconnected. So, Lord Jesus, we do. We surrender to you and we offer to you this morning again. Lord Jesus, we ask you to teach us, we ask you to speak to us, we ask that you would touch our hearts and do the work that you want to do this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. I feel good. Maybe it's the coffee. All right, so all year we've been teaching a series on Matthew, and for the last several weeks we've been either on or around the Sermon on the Mount. The fundamental message of Christ and the basics of the Christian life. Last week, my dad spoke an excellent message on healing. If you weren't here, you need to listen to it. Healing was and is still one of the cornerstones of Jesus' ministry. Right? Um, in Matthew 4.23, leading up to the Sermon on the Mount, the Bible says that Jesus came healing, proclaiming the kingdom, and teaching. And as Ray Hollenbach mentioned two weeks ago, you see this pattern in the Gospels. Jesus does, and then he teaches. He does, and then he teaches. You see these waves of him acting and then teaching. And as Ray pointed out, you see a lot of the black letters, chapters of black letters, then chapters of red letters, chap chapters, right? So, you know, so Jesus would go and he would perform miracles. He would heal people, and these crowds would draw these crowds would gather. When the, when the, as the crowds gathered, he would proclaim the kingdom or the new way of life. And then he would begin to dig into the inner life of the, of the people he was speaking to. Because I believe the inner life is where, the, is where spiritual transformation takes place. The soil of the heart is where I believe the kingdom is grown. So, as Ray concluded his Sermon on the Mount, excuse me, excuse me, sorry, I've had too much coffee this morning, I need to slow down. Two weeks ago, Ray Hollenbach spoke from the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, the end of Matthew 7, and I want to start today by reading some of the passages that lead into that conclusion, as well as some book-ending Passages that begin at the beginning of Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. All right, so I'm going to read those, and then I'm going to jump in. Is that okay? I mean, I guess it has to be, because you're here and I'm here, and I don't know what else to do. All right. I actually want to start in the beginning, and then I'm going to jump to the end. Right? So in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus opens up with this sort of poetic declaration of the kingdom known as the Beatitudes. But then as soon as he addresses the crowd, 
As soon as he addresses the crowd, here's what he says. His, the first time addressing the crowd directly, he says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. All right? This is how Jesus opens up the Sermon on the Mount. And here's how he closes the Sermon on the Mount. As Ray spoke from this passage, it talks about building your house on the rock. And remember, Ray said, building your house on the rock means putting into practice the words of Jesus. Matthew seven twenty four. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Notice the word then. I haven't compared this to other translations, but the word then to me definitely implies that he is responding to something that he's just said. Everyone then who hears the word, these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And these are the passages that lead into that statement. They're kind of scary, but hang on. All right, we're going to talk about them. I don't think they're as scary as they sound, right? Matthew seven fifteen. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. I mean, that's scary language. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. It's fun to dig into individual verses and you can extract a lot, extract a lot of wisdom and knowledge from individual verses. But sometimes you need to read the whole thing to catch the context. As this last verse here is also speaking to the two sort of passages that came before it. Do you see what I'm saying? Also, have you noticed some similarities between the way Jesus opened his, uh, message and the way he closed his message? Right in the beginning, he says, you're the light of the world. Excuse me, he says, um, you are the salt of the earth. But he says, if the salt loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing but to be trampled under people's feet. Then here he talks about, you know, a tree that has bad fruit, you know, is good for nothing but to be uh, thrown down into the fire, cut down and thrown into the fire, right? And you see this throughout Jesus' whole message. He talks about healthy things and unhealthy things. Then he talks about when things don't work, how they end up wasted, how they end up in the garbage dump, how they end up in the trash, right? You see this, and he's opening and closing, uh, talking about some of the same things. He also, in his opening, 
as he talks about the, you're the light of the world, he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father. Right? So he opens and closes talking about good works, and he opens and closes about talking about the possibility that something could be wasted or destroyed if we don't pay attention, right? Obviously, some of that is super scary, but I want to maybe try and open some of that up a little bit today. Matthew seven eighteen. this is um, one of my favorite lines in the passages I just read you. It says, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor diseased tree bear good fruit. I like this metaphor. I like the word healthy because healthy implies that there is care involved. Health is something that's cultivated, grown, and developed. It's not happenstance. In this scenario, a diseased tree is more like a tree that hasn't been cared for rather than a tree that is simply bad in essence. Good fruit is cultivated. Good fruit is the result of hard work and intention. Now, before you accuse me of speaking a gospel of works, let me remind you that Jesus' greatest goal for us is not that we would just live forever, but that we would learn how to live in the first place. Paul says in Romans, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But in the book of John, Jesus says that he came to bring us life and life more abundantly. See, so Jesus' greatest aim isn't just to prolong your existence, but to transform your existence. Any of you guys grow up watching The Twilight Zone? Remember the show The Twilight Zone? So I haven't seen this episode in a while, so I'm going to try and remember it the best I can. But there's one famous episode. I believe there's sort of a nuclear winter, and there's a librarian, and he's stuck in the basement. And he survives, and no one else survives, right? And he loves books. He's kind of a quiet guy. He doesn't care much for people at all, right? He really just loves books. So he comes up after the uh, nuclear... Uh, situation, and he's the only one alive. And at first, it really messes with him. You know, he's obviously really disturbed that everyone's gone. You know, but then he realizes something. He's like, I hate people anyway. All I really love are books, and I'm surrounded by books. And all my life, I just wish I didn't have to deal with people so that I could read all of these beautiful books. And he realized in that moment, he is in heaven, right? Everyone's gone, and this is sort of his afterlife. He's alone with all the time in the world to do nothing but read all the books that he wants to read. So if you remember the episode correctly, he bends over to pick up the first book, and his glasses fall off and they break. And here he is, surrounded by heaven, all the books in the world. Everything he ever wanted. Here he is surrounded by heaven, and he has no way to engage. See, so Jesus', Jesus greatest aim isn't to simply prolong your existence, but to transform your existence. Right? He doesn't just want you to live forever. He wants you to learn how to live so that forever isn't difficult for you. But while Jesus is the giver of life, the transformer of life, the giver of grace, the leader and the guide and the teacher, you are the gatekeeper of your destiny. God brings the sun, the rain, and he even plants the seeds. He does the impossible work that we could never do. This is grace. This is a grace that we cannot manufacture. This is the miraculous, undeserved gift of God. 
He causes the sun to shine on the evil and the good, and he causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. But transformation, a healthy spiritual life, the fruit you produce depends on what you do with the grace that he gives you. The health of the plant you grow depends on rain and sun, but it also depends on the type of soil. Once again, God plants the seed. God brings the sun. God provides the rain. But the soil is your responsibility. The soil is your heart. In the parable of the sower, Jesus says that some have a hard surface for soil. Some of us are full of stones. Some of us have weeds. And some of us have soft soil, right? Well, there's some good news and some bad news here. The bad news is you don't get to choose what kind of soil you've been given. Some of you have suffered heartbreaks, tragedies, rejections, and difficulty. It's not fair that some people have a harder life than others, but this is reality. You don't get to choose the world your heart was given to. But the good news is that you get to decide what you're going to do with the soil you've been given. You get to decide if you're going to live with the weeds, the stones, and the hard shell of the treading path, or if you're going to do something about it. Maybe the road or the path is hard because it's been stepped on, it's been tread upon. And maybe it's a little scary to think about becoming soft again. Maybe you're afraid to be stepped on and hurt again. You don't choose to be abused or mistreated. But you get to choose whether to stay hard and shut off or to do the work of plowing the soil and becoming vulnerable again to the kingdom and the spirit. You get to choose that. Maybe the ground is rocky because you feel like you're missing something. You grew up without opportunity and life has been hard for you. It just seems so much easier to do other things than dig in and make your soil deep and refined. It's not your fault you grew up without something everyone else seemed to have. But you get to decide what you want for your life. You get to decide if you want to engage in the deeper life and sacrifice the present for a more vibrant future. Maybe you've allowed the weeds because they're exciting and fulfilling in a way. After all, weed is a plant, and they grow from a seed, and they can seem fulfilling. They just don't bear fruit. Jesus said this was the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. The weeds of your personal empire, your identity, self-preservation, and all sorts of things you look to to tell you who you are, these will not allow room for the true seeds of the kingdom to grow. And it's painful, but sometimes you got to take even good things and you have to tear them out. Is this making sense? Let's talk about the heart. There are many different ideas about the heart. What is the heart? Some people think the heart is like your gut, like it's sort of like your instinct. You know, it's not something you plan. It's those opinions you have in the moment, right? It's, it's, it's what makes you wild and free, right? And in that sense, sometimes your heart would be at enmity with your intellect, right? Because a lot of times your brain, if you think about something, tells you to do things that your gut wants to do immediately, Right? Right. And so some people would say in that sense that your heart and your brain are kind of at war with each other. But I don't I don't think that's the case. Actually, I think both your gut and your brain are simply filters 
or ways, filters through which your heart sees the world and experiences the world. Maybe the heart is the thing beneath all that, seeing life through these filters and expressing itself back through them again. I believe that the heart is you. It's the good thing the maker dreamed of when he thought you up. It's who you were before you knew your own name, and it's who you will be in your hospice bed when you can't remember the names of your closest relatives. It's who you are when you have nothing. It's who you are when you have everything, and it's who you are when you have nothing again. It's your core, the real you, the true self, the purest essence of who you are. But for most of us, all of us really, our true selves are buried and wrapped up in all types of baggage. Over time, we've covered ourselves in layers of false ideas of who we are to protect ourselves. Like Adam and Eve after the fall who told the Lord, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. I believe these false ideas that we hide inside of are what Paul talks about when he speaks of the flesh. They are projections of who we feel like we need to be in order to be accepted, loved, safe, or successful. Notice at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus didn't begin by telling people they were wretched and depraved. When he first addressed the crowd, he began by telling them who he thought they were. He said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. That's where Jesus began. And that's where you begin. I don't believe you begin depraved. And you begin wretched. I believe you begin good because God made you good. And because of fear and anxiety and shame, we protect ourselves with all this external stuff that we learn to interpret as who we are. But those are not eternal things. And one by one, they're torn down and burned. And it's really, really painful. It's really, really painful. So I believe for the seed of the kingdom to grow, for the good thing that God made you to be from the beginning to thrive, these fake and false ideas have to die. And this is likely a process that will continue our whole lives, but this is what I believe we are called to. Learning to become vulnerable before the Lord. Someone used the words humble or contrite. This is hard. But I believe this is where the work of the Spirit is done, in the place of vulnerability before God. The word worship in the Bible most of the time means to prostrate oneself or to bow down low. We often raise our hands in worship. These are all signs of surrender or acts of vulnerability. To bow is to expose the neck. To raise the hands is to show there is no weapon. I believe most of the spiritual life is simply letting God in, making space for God How are you making space for God in your life? So what is good fruit and how do we grow it? What is good fruit and how do we grow it? The passage at the end of Matthew 7 seems to be a direct reference to the previous verse. I mentioned that earlier. Putting the words of Jesus into practice is the way we build our house on the rock. This is also the fruit Jesus is looking for. Jesus, from the get-go, shows us that he's looking for good works, but not as he makes it clear that he's more interested, excuse me, but as he makes it clear, he's more interested in your inner life. So he is looking for good works, but he's more interested in your inner life. 
What you do with your outer life proves the quality of your inner life. By good works, he doesn't mean just healing, prophecy, signs, and wonders. As he makes it clear at the end, it's entirely possible to do all these things and never actually put his words into practice. Depart from me. I never knew you. Notice he doesn't say, you never knew me. He says, depart from me. I never knew you. I read this almost as though he's saying, you never allowed my voice into the conversation of your life in a way that allowed you to become who you really are. You burned brightly, but your light was hidden because you never allowed me the opportunity to help you forgive your sisters and your brothers. You never let me deal with your anxieties about paying the bills. You never let me help you find a love for your neighbors, strangers, and even your enemies. You never let me help you realize your true identity outside of your job, your appearance, your status, or your function, and find a security in yourself outside of the eyes and minds and applause of men and women. You never made space for me to come in and apprentice you, teach you, and father you in the ways of the good life. I didn't get a chance to know you. I never got to see the full potential of what the maker placed within you come to fruition because you were so distracted your whole life with anxiety, shame, and anger. If you had taken a little time, if you'd taken me, if you'd given me a little space, then here at the end of your life, you wouldn't look back and see all the days you wasted, all the days you burned, all the days like empty branches that just go down into the dumpster fire. All the words for hell in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are dumpster fire, by the way. It was a place that actually existed during Jesus' time. It's called Gehenna. It's where they took their refuse and burned it. And to keep this from getting too heavy, remember that Jesus also told the people who showed up late that they get the same reward. Most people were on time today. I mean, I walked in a little late myself. But before we get depressed here, remember, if you're depressed, you're hearing this the wrong way. But remember, Jesus gives the same reward to the people who showed up late. The laborers who did less work, they showed up at the last minute and they still got the full, their full wages, Right? So don't let this be condemnation, but an invitation. In whatever stage of life you find yourself in, there is still an opportunity to grow in the ways of the kingdom and the good life. Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the trees we're trying to grow in our lives. These are the qualities that define a spiritual person. They show us what it looks like to be spiritually healthy. And this is my dream for Queen City Church, that we would be a community of people committed to becoming spiritually healthy together. What would it look like for you to be a spiritually healthy person? What would it look, what would it look like for you to take responsibility for your spiritual life? What would it look like for you to begin practicing Christian spirituality seriously or in a serious way? 
What would it look like for you to begin partnering with Jesus and the Holy Spirit to see your inner life transformed? What kind of space do you need to make in your daily life for the work of the Spirit? What would it look like to be a community of people who have cultivated a robust, vibrant, complex spiritual life over many, many years? You know, it won't spare us pain and tragedy, but it will spare us some pain. Wisdom won't save you from tragedy, but it will prevent stupid pain. It will prevent stupid pain. There's just pain and then there's stupid pain. You know what I mean? But here's what it will do. It won't prevent or eliminate tragedy in your life. But what it might do, it might make you the type of person so that when tragedy comes, when the worst happens, you are the kind of person that other people can run to. You are the type of person other people can lean on. And the fruit of your life can satisfy many people. To have a healthy spiritual, healthy spiritual life could mean that the overflow of your life blesses many, many people. And just the excess of your joy and your love and your peace and your patience and your kindness and your goodness, the excess, what you have left over, could bless many, many, many people. You could be like a tree that the birds come and land in and eat the fruit and live and you have more left over. That would be beautiful. That would be beautiful. I thought I had one more page, but I don't. <laughs> I want to say this again. You could be the kind of person who's so full of love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness that others could experience the goodness simply in the overflow of your life. Other people could be sustained by what's left over. People around you could experience the new way of living just by the excess of what God is doing in your life. And that's something that I would like to pursue for the next 20 years, 50 years, 60 years. Some of our children might live to be 120. And that's worth pursuing as a group of people, don't you think? I know I mostly read words off the page, but I wrote this down all week long. So why don't you stand up and let's pray. Let's raise our hands again. Let's do that. That's great. You're going to do that or prostrate yourself, but it's the floor's, floor's pretty clean. But Father God, we love you. We love you. And we do want to answer your invitation to the deeper life. And many of us, I would say probably all of us, have, have answered that invitation, but we want to continue to answer that invitation on a daily basis. We don't want to be the kind of people who wake up one day and look back and see all the days that we've burned, 
all the days that we've lost, not learning how to love, not learning how to experience joy, not learning how to experience peace. Lord Jesus, we don't want to look back and see all the days we lost. Likely we've lost a few, and maybe most of us have probably lost many, but the few that we have The few days that we have engaged with you are beautiful enough that we would forget those other days. And so, Father, we do ask that throughout the week you place your finger on our hearts and you invite us every morning into a deeper walk and relationship with you. The kind that yields the good fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. And that you would make us the type of people who would have an excess of all of those things. And that our neighborhoods, our friends and our family, people we work with, and the city would experience the goodness, the goodness, the excess and the overflow of the blessing that you've blessed us with, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Mitch, you want to come up and... Thanks, brother. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. Um, man, I'm encouraged to pursue making my heart better soil um, and cultivating those things that Jesus is going after. So um, if you have an, a need, physical need, spiritual, spiritual need, emotional need, um, you just want somebody to come alongside you and say, hey, I'm, I want to take steps towards being better soil um, that the seed of the Lord can can grow in. We'll have prayer teams over here, um, folks that would love to just agree with you that God has something really good for you. Um, it's in his nature. So uh, if you need prayer, just step over here. Um, if not, uh, stay dry and enjoy um, your day. We're so glad to be able to fellowship with you today. So God bless you.